Well, it is good to be at this point on a Sunday morning where we're actually going to be closing out a series. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. As we finish today our series hashtag blessed, I feel like this week has absolutely just flown by. Uh, For the first part of the week, Pastor Nathan and I were in Lynchburg, Virginia at the Refuel Conference and Uh, We went to represent the Liberty Church Network there. You may not realize that Judson Baptist Church is a local church center in the Liberty Church Network. And what that means is that we gather once a month with a group of pastors and church planters from really as far away as even from Clarksville, Tennessee. And uh, we meet just kind of talking about how we can make disciples. We feel like that's the church's mission and and uh, we encourage one another, and it's just, it's just been really good for us to be able to do that. That's actually one of our great Global Focus projects. And as we speak about Global Focus, let me just say I'm excited to announce to you that our Faith Promise offering to our partners was completed last week, and all of them are absolutely going to be fully funded this year, which was an amazing thing because last week we had more cards come in than we've ever had come in on a third week and more money come in than we've ever had on a third week. And so that's a great praise, and they're going to be excited to be able to hear that. So let's give the Lord a hand for that tonight. That's, that's good stuff, and we're excited to be able to do that. It's pretty cool to see how God uh, answered our prayer in that way, and I can't thank you enough for your faithfulness in spreading the gospel. I also had the opportunity this week to uh, finish up a series with our Overton High School football team Pastor Patton and a group of volunteers have been feeding them every week that they have an away game. Uh, Before they have that game, they come over here and have a lunch and was able to speak to them. And uh, I was telling them the story of a uh, Navy SEAL named Adam Brown uh, who lost his life. His book is called Fearless. If you've never read it, I encourage you to. And I was talking about how this guy's story had been changed literally from death to life. He was a person who was addicted to crack and uh, as I began to tell this story, I started getting some quizzical looks from the team. And the, the head football coach kind of walked up and tapped me on the shoulder and said, there's a little bit of confusion today because this team thinks you're talking about Adam Brown, our coach, right now. And uh, I was not. Uh, and so we had to clear that up. But that was good. And one of our Gideons showed up and had a box full of Bibles. And we just made them available and said, anybody wants to take one of the Bibles, you can do that. And a lot of the, a lot of the players and their coaches took Bibles. And so we were grateful for those gospel engagements. They just did a really good job. As we finish this series called Hashtag Blessed, we've been really seeking to understand what our character needs to be in following Christ. As we become Christ followers, what does it mean when Jesus Christ saves us and begins to change the character of who we are from the inside out? I've said it many times. If you read the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, If you weren't a Christ follower, it really seems like it's an impossibility to do these things because it is. It has to come from the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we seek to follow Christ. We know that we were saved in an instant, but the transformation process lasts for the rest of our lives. It's not something that's over in just a second, is it? I wish that it were uh, that way. If we could live perfect lives the rest of our lives, that would be great, wouldn't it? But the truth of it is uh, we're saved from sin And it's punishment in the moment, but we're being saved from the power of sin for the rest of our lives. You know, I mean, it's a constant work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And today we're looking at what it means to live a life that makes a difference in the world that truthfully doesn't appreciate or respect or like the fact that we're Christ's followers. When you mention the name of Jesus, we realize that most people hate Jesus. That's a strong statement, isn't it? And you say, well, people don't hate Jesus. Well, Jesus said that they were going to hate him. 
And he said that if we followed him, we were going to experience the same thing he experienced. And if you think about what Jesus experienced, it was persecution and ultimately his death. It's funny that you can claim to be any religion you want to in the world, but when you say the name of Jesus, you immediately invite ridicule and scorn and even persecution. And Jesus understood this perfectly as he started his ministry. And I think that's why as he begins to teach the disciples, he's not setting them up for the fall. What he's saying is this is really how life is going to be for you guys if you choose to follow me the rest of your days. So in Matthew chapter 5, we'll start in verse 1. And our focus verses are going to be verse 10, 11, and 12 today. As you turn there, let me invite you to take your devices, put them away, put them on airplane mode. Let's give our full attention to what God might have to say to us this morning as we finish this reading of the Beatitudes. Verse 1, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you." You know, there's many types of persecution that you and I might endure in this world. You might be persecuted for a belief system. You might be persecuted even today for the political party uh, that you choose to associate with. You might be persecuted for all kinds of reasons, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. And we need to be very clear about that. He's talking about the persecution that comes for one thing. It's very specific. And we want to deal today with persecution that comes from righteous living. When we talk about righteous living, we mean living in a right way that pleases and honors God. None of us are righteous on our own, but we can be righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ that covers our sin. When Christ died on the cross, he gave us what the scripture calls and theologians kind of call this imputed righteousness, meaning it was given to you. It's not really who you are outside of Christ on your own, but now when God sees us, He sees us as righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ applied to your life. That's good news for all of us because it means that when God looks at us, no longer does he see us as sinners once we've become Christians. He sees Jesus Christ standing in our way, taking the judgment that should have been ours. The Beatitudes have been building to this point because Jesus' entire message was to get us to see that righteousness really does matter in our lives. It's an important piece of living for Christ. And when we live righteously in this world, we need to be careful to understand it's not living holier than thou. That's not what it's about. When we live righteously, we're not living judgmentally towards other people. If you're doing that this morning, you don't understand the first thing about righteous living. Righteousness is a gift given to us through our relationship to Jesus Christ. And once we've been saved, we now have this ability to live righteous lives. It was impossible for us to do this on our own power before we met Christ. If you look back at verse 10 with me for a moment, I want us to go verse by verse today. Jesus begins this portion of the sermon on, on uh, saying that we, we should be happy when we've been persecuted for the sake 
of righteousness. Now, you may have met someone who constantly wanted to fall on the sword, who always had to be the martyr, and they're the kind of person who always goes around wanting to, to kind of live this noble life, and, and, and they always feel like they're under scrutiny and all this kind of thing, and that's not exactly what Jesus is talking about. He's also not talking about when you do uh, stuff that you shouldn't do and get punished for it, you know? You, you, you do something like make a dumb financial decision and then have to live with the repercussions of that. That's not persecution, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about when you don't get your work done on time in your job or at school and suffer the consequences of it. That, that's not persecution. He's not talking about when you get caught drunk driving after the pastor's told you over and over again you shouldn't be drinking, right? That's not persecution. When we do things that are, are part of our old nature... And we get busted in that, and we suffer consequences. Of, that's not persecution. That's something totally different. Listen to this definition of persecution. I'm going to quote this. What does it mean to be persecuted for righteousness' sake? Simply put, it means to be persecuted for being like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said that those who are persecuted for being like him will be happy. And what is more, those who are like him will always be persecuted. Now that definition is very important. When we're persecuted for righteousness sake, it means that something in us has reflected the very true nature and character of Jesus Christ. And that reflection has caused the problem that we now have with the world. It's them seeing Jesus Christ in us and not liking that. We might find ourselves in any number of situations where living righteously causes this kind of problem in our lives. When you show up with an ethic and a moral that goes against the grain, you can expect trouble. It might be something as simple as being in your friend group. They want to do something that you know is not right and you don't go along with that. And all of a sudden you begin to take ridicule or even worse, you're ostracized from that friend group and excluded from that friend group. And by the way, adults, I'm not talking just to our students about that this morning. Some of you know what that's like. You've been living under that. You know what it's like. And if we think about it, We've had to make a decision that ultimately changed our relationships with some of our friends because we wouldn't go along with it. That's the kind of thing Jesus is talking about. As days go by, no doubt some of you have maybe even experienced persecution in your workplace. And if you haven't, I can assure you that that's only going to increase uh, as people continue to not go along with what it means to be tolerant. Can, can I give a definition of tolerance that makes sense for us this morning? Tolerance means allowing you to believe what you want to believe. It doesn't mean that I have to agree that it's right, but that's, the, that's not the definition that the world gives today of tolerance anymore. You're going to believe it's right. You're going to approve it, and if you don't, we're going to re-educate you. You know who did that? The communist. I've been there. Years ago, I was in Ukraine, and at a camp that one of our mission partners had bought. It was very interesting. It was a place that they used to send children to educate them on communist political beliefs. And they would send adults there who didn't go along with the party line. That's not tolerance, folks. That's dictatorship, right? You understand that that's going to increase. But at this point, we need to notice something. Jesus says when that happens in your life, we should be happy about it. Now, I've lost friends over my beliefs. I've been shut out of certain circles because I'm a Christian. And being very honest with you, I don't know that it's ever made me very happy. 
I don't know that I went away from that situation uh, feeling excited about that. A lot of times I felt sickened by it. I, I, I've wondered if I made the right decision by speaking up. I wondered if, if I made the right decision by not going along with something and now being ostracized. It doesn't feel good, but Jesus says that we should be happy and consider ourselves blessed. And the reason for this has to be that we're recognizing his influence in our lives has led us to this point. It's only when we act like Christ and are persecuted for righteousness sake that we truly understand what it means to be happy and blessed. Now some people take this too far. They invite persecution by setting themselves up as martyrs or even religious nuts. Uh, and, And let me just say this, if you're a jerk, that's not persecution for righteousness sake. That's you being a jerk, right? And that's not what we're talking about. Jesus never walked into a place and hammered people and was a jerk about things. And and if you think that that that's some kind of a badge of honor that you walk in and tear the place up, you're, you're, you're gravely mistaken about this. We have to really see this for what it is and call it for what it is. Being persecuted because you were a bad employee or a bad friend doesn't cut it. It has to be for righteousness' sake. Look at verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You ever been insulted because you were a Christ follower? Have you ever had someone lie about you because you were a Christ follower or a righteous person? Again, Jesus says, we should be happy about this. You should count it as a blessing. In 2017, the Washington Post wrote an article about the second lady of the United States, Mrs. Karen Pence. And in this article, it discussed how Vice President Mike Pence has done his best to live by something that has been known in religious circles for a long time as the Billy Graham rule. If you're not familiar with what that is, let me kind of bring you up on that. Billy Graham was this great evangelist who lived uh, and had a fantastic ministry of preaching the gospel. He's gone on to glory now, but even when I was in seminary, they talked to us as aspiring young pastors about the Billy Graham rule, about making sure that you never walked into a situation where you are alone with another person who was not your wife or your husband if you were a lady. I mean, they just said this over and over again. You need to always live above reproach and make sure that you're doing everything you can to make sure that you live a godly life in your relationships. Don't ever be tempted. Don't ever spend time with someone in this kind of face-to-face relationship. And Vice President Pence kind of pointed out something in this article that said he wouldn't eat alone with another woman or go to parties where alcohol was served without his wife. And the reaction to the story was incredible. In fact, the Los Angeles Times wrote an article that said this was a sign of weakness for the vice president. They also said it was harmful to women because women were equal under the eyes of the law. Thank you. Can we agree? Could you raise your hand if you agree with that this morning? Women are equal under the eyes of the law. Please raise your hand. If you don't, someone hit the person next to you who doesn't raise their hand. If you didn't raise your hand, see me afterwards. The author of the article ended by saying this. If you're worried about being alone with a woman as a man, then you should just stay out of the workplace. What doesn't matter to the world if you're trying to protect your marriage, or it seems if you're trying to end marriages by having adulterous relationships around you all the time. This article was essentially saying that those actions are in fact the same. I disagree. That's ridicule. That's persecution for living under a conviction. Personal purity is a conviction because of our Savior. He was pure. He lived in a pure manner and calls us to be pure. He calls us to live in such a way that we reflect his relationship and his mercy and his grace in all of our relationships and and that we hold sacred the vows of marriage that we've had. I mean, you, you see what's going on here. 
People may ridicule you and insult you for choosing to live differently, but we're not doing this for our own sake. We're always doing it to honor the master. That has to be forefront in our minds, honoring the master. If you look back at verse 12, you'll see there's another analogy that was made that has to do with the prophets. Jesus reminded his listeners that when they were persecuted, they were in good company because the nation of Israel had done the same thing to prophets from the Old Testament. Now, if you're wondering what a prophet was, we, we have a lot of prophetic literature in the Old Testament. If you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, if you read Hosea, Joel, Amos, and those are the minor prophets, those, the book of the 12 at the very end, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, I can get an Awana award right there, right? Uh, you understand, if you read those very long, what happens is, you see that the people hated the prophets. They didn't want to listen to them. They persecuted, killed some of them. And Jesus was saying, when you're persecuted, for righteousness' sake, you're in good company. They did the same thing to the prophets. And I think Jesus also points out something amazing in verse 12. He says, don't worry about this because your reward in heaven is being built. It's great. That's an important piece. Most of us only think about earthly awards. I was thinking about some of my earthly awards. They sit in a box in my attic from middle school. Because you know what? Nobody really cares what club award you got in the 8th grade when you're 40. Right? It doesn't mean anything. In fact, we could probably go up in the attic and take that whole box, not even look through it, and throw it away. Because it's been in the attic for you know 20 years now. It doesn't matter anymore. But that's not the reward that Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about some trophy that's going to get a little dust on it that your kids won't care about one day. He's saying that you're building up something for yourself in heaven that is going to be eternal. No person has ever endured ridicule or shame without earning a reward that you get to keep for eternity. You might be thinking this all seems a little far-fetched. How can it be that persecution's a good thing. If you still have your Bibles open, I want to invite you to make a right turn to the book of Acts. Find Acts chapter 5 for a second. Not long after Jesus went to heaven, his disciples began to preach and teach in the power of the Holy Spirit. And being filled in the power of the Holy Spirit had actually changed everything in their lives. If you think about it, before the power of the Holy Spirit fell on them, they had kind of been pitiful, hadn't they? Uh, they weren't around at the crucifixion. They said they'd follow him anywhere, but they're not there. And when the power of the Holy Spirit falls in the book of Acts chapter 2, they were huddled in a room with the doors locked, hiding. But by the time we get to Acts chapter 5, things have changed. All of a sudden, now they're standing and preaching the name of Jesus in the temple complex in front of the very people that had crucified him. And these leaders are not very happy about it. Worse, these disciples are healing people in the temple complex. And the religious leaders who killed Jesus are now afraid... This situation is about to get out of control. And so they did the only thing they knew to do. They arrested these two disciples, Peter and John. And you may know Peter as that impulsive, sometimes loudmouthed disciple that I think we all relate to. You know, who's always like, let's go do it until he takes the first step into it. And he's like, man, this is a bad idea. I meant it, kind of, but now I need to backtrack a little bit. That, that's kind of where he was. And John is with him. And John is known as the beloved disciple. John wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation, uh, it, it's an interesting thing that they're doing. They're in the temple complex, no longer scared. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's living in their lives, and they've been transformed, and they're preaching and teaching, and as they do that, they're arrested. And in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 38, we see the last part of a speech by a man named Gamaliel, 
who was a Jewish leader, and he's urging the Jewish leaders to use caution with Peter and John because as he sees it, nothing good is going to come out of them arresting these two guys. And he says, guys, we've got to be careful. Let's read this with me in verse 38. So in the present case, he says, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. And they took his advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Did you catch what happened in verse 40? The Jewish leaders flogged these guys with a whip. This wasn't just a tongue lashing. This was a lashing that they received. They were literally going to carry the marks of that beating on their backs for the rest of their lives. They'd spilled their blood now for this Jesus that they believed in so much they were willing to teach and preach and not worry about who stood in their way, even being arrested. And it says... In verse 41, something pretty surprising. It says, They went away from the council where they had been interrogated and flogged and were never to speak the name of Jesus again, and they went away rejoicing. Now, I want to clear this up for you because I know sometimes we don't use the word rejoicing very much. Can I give you the literal definition from the Greek language that was used by Luke as he wrote this story? Literally means delighted. Delighted. Now, I imagine that this week, I hope so for you, that something happened in your life that you were delighted in. I hope you had the pleasure of, of seeing something that made you really happy. I hope you had an encounter with someone that made you happy. I hope something happened at work that just really delighted you. But they were delighted because they'd been beaten with a whip. Think about that for a second. They were literally delighted because they had been beaten with a whip. They saw it as something incredible in their lives. They were doing exactly what Jesus had said they would do. He had preached this sermon in Matthew to them three years ago. And now three years later, it's all happening. They're seeing it with their own eyes. They've been imprisoned. They've been beaten for their faith. And he told them to consider themselves blessed and happy when opportunities came that involved persecution. And these guys go back fired up. Now, we might expect that they go back happy and they go back to their little room where they were hanging out with all their friends and they put a little salve on their back and say, hey, we kind of need to keep it low for a little bit. We got to be careful about this. You know, don't want to get in this situation again. Need to let this heal up a little bit. But did you notice what Luke said about them? He said they went right on, kept right on, teaching back in the temple complex and healing people, and going house to house and teaching anyone who would let them. And that's an amazing thing. Later, Peter would write about this in his letter to a Christian church when he wrote in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or troublesome meddler, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed but is to glorify God in this name. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like he learned the lesson. 
we're reading these lines of someone who has lived this out, right? He's not just saying this is a philosophical idea. He'd seen it taught by Jesus. He'd seen Jesus go through that persecution himself. Then he had been persecuted, and now he writes to a church that's under enormous pressure from the government. In fact, as he begins his letter, he talks about, you guys have been dispersed. You're all over the place because of the persecution that's come. And he says, don't be ashamed of it. Wear it as an honor. And don't be persecuted for dumb stuff. Don't, don't, don't do anything that causes you harm in this world because you weren't thinking and living under the control of the Holy Spirit. But when you're persecuted for his name's sake, rejoice. Be excited about it. And glorify God. In our country, we've been spared for the most part from persecution. And we might call that a blessing. We might sometimes feel like that's a good thing. But i got to be honest with you, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about it. I don't have a persecution wish. I mean, I don't wake up every morning going, I hope today is the day that persecution falls on the church. That, that's not what I mean. But I think the days are coming soon where the idea of casual Christianity or cultural Christianity are going to go away. Because it no longer benefits you in the community to come to church. You know, nobody cares down at the state house if you're the member at Judson Baptist Church. That may not be the best thing for you anymore. Nobody cares in metro government if you're a deacon at the church or you teach preschool at the church. They don't care about that anymore. It doesn't benefit you in that way. In fact, we may be seeing the tide turning towards that. And maybe like me, you've been maybe ridiculed for your faith or someone has tried to do you some harm for your faith in a slight way, but I've never taken a blow for my faith. I've never been flogged with a whip for my faith. I've never been imprisoned for my faith. But what would we do in persecution? How would we handle that? How do we live as Christians in a world that seems like it doesn't appreciate who we are. I think there are three things that we start now doing and we do even as persecution comes. And the first is that we start by praying to the God of the universe who is mighty to save. We pray for our enemies and those who persecute us. It's funny that we're told to do that throughout the scripture. We're told to pray for our enemies, not to gloat over our enemies, not to be happy when they fall, but to pray for our enemies. And I say that we even pray for those who would persecute us, that God would save them. And you say, well, why would you do that? Well, a little bit later in the book of Acts, we're going to hear about a man named Paul who persecuted the church. His name was Saul at the time. And God used him as maybe the greatest influence in the spread of Christianity in the world's history because he was saved. We pray for those who would persecute us. Not that God would kill them, but that God would save them. And we pray for the persecuted church. Even now, all around the world, the persecuted church exists. And we may think that it's not thriving, but on the contrary, it is. Because you can't persecute the church out of existence. It's been said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the gospel. Every time that blood is spilled, the gospel springs forth in that area. And so we pray for the persecuted church in places like China. We pray for the persecuted church in places like Nepal where now it carries a five-year prison conviction if you're caught sharing the gospel of Christ so that someone may be converted. We do that 
asking God to move on, on behalf of his name, that people would be glorified. And we pray for those who are undergoing persecution, that they may be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit and that they may rejoice in their persecutions. Secondly, we live according to the principles we've learned from the Beatitudes. We want to live in such a way that it leaves no doubt whose we are and why we're living on purpose. We want to do that every day. It starts now. Uh, I have this great fear in my life that persecution might come to the church and that many of us wouldn't be found worthy of the persecution because we've never lived a life that commended itself to Jesus Christ. That should be a great fear for us. That persecution would come and it passed right over us because no one would even notice that we were Christ followers. We've never done anything that has commended itself to being a Christ follower. We've never told anybody about Jesus. When we go to work, no one knows that Christ has changed our lives. We've got to get this right in our minds. We've got to fear God rather than man. At every point, we've got to fear God rather than man. What can man do to us? Man may take our bodies, but thank God our souls live on. That's the death we're meant to fear. That's the death we're meant to fear. Not the death of the body, but the death of the soul. And I want to be living in such a way that if persecution comes, it's evident to everybody whose I am. That it leaves no doubt. One of the worst experiences I ever had in my life was sharing Christ with a friend as a young man. And the friend said, I had no idea you were a Christian. You think that's why more of us don't share our faith? You ever have that experience? It's a blow you'll never forget. It's a wake-up call. The whose we are and how we're supposed to be living. Let us fear God rather than man and be counted worthy of his name. Finally, as we have opportunity, let us pray for boldness like the apostles did when they faced persecution. They asked God to put their fear in the right place. They wanted to let everyone know that there was a day coming where judgment was happening, so they kept right on preaching and teaching with boldness. We need boldness right now. We need laborers in the harvest. We need people who are engaging the world. How will the world ever change if we never tell them? How will they go, the scripture says, and, and believe in whom they have not heard unless someone goes and tells them the good news because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we need to pray for boldness. We need to pray for workers to be sent out into the world, into the harvest, not even around the world, but in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our country, in our schools, that God would do a mighty work and he would make his church bold, that we would rise up and say, there's a better way. And it comes from knowing Christ. And that we would be so bold that we would never, ever stop speaking the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe right now, you're facing a situation where you're going to have to make a decision. You remember a few months ago, we went through a book study on the book of Joshua. And Joshua told the Israelites at the end of his life, after he led them through this entire campaign, military campaign, and they'd just seen God move in so many ways, but he knew how easy it is to fall back. 
Does anybody know how easy it is to fall back in here? I do. It's pretty easy, isn't it? And so Joshua said to them this verse. Maybe you've heard it before. He said, choose for you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you remember we looked at that construction. And what Joshua was literally saying to them was, I chose yesterday. And I choose today. And I'm going to choose tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. And the next day. And that's what we have to do. We have to choose today and tomorrow, no matter the cost, right? Ridicule, shame, persecution, none of that matters when you're getting an eternal reward from the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time we're reviled, for righteousness' sake, our reward in heaven grows. And we should count ourselves blessed happy to be numbered among those who have been called to join in the fellowship of his suffering. It's an honor and a privilege. I want to ask you to bow your heads. It could be today that some of us are facing that decision of, if I go along with the crowd, I'm going to have to stuff down and push out of my life who I am in Christ. And I got to make a decision today. Am I going to live for Jesus? Or am I just going to take the easy way? Well, that easy way is tempting, isn't it? It really is. But could we pray something different for ourselves this morning and for our church? Could we pray that Jesus Christ would be so clearly visible to everyone we meet that it'd leave no doubt whose we are? Would you pray that for yourself this morning? That you would be counted worthy of his name. Father, some of us in here are facing a decision right now. It may be at work or at home or at school or with the people we like to be around. And you're calling us to be different and we haven't been different enough. We're still living in the old ways. Holy Spirit, would you please transform our lives? Give us boldness so that the world would look upon us and see the Savior. Father, would you let us be change agents in our country while we still have a chance? Would you move in power? Father, we pray for those that are persecuted today in places like China and Nepal. We lift up our brothers and sisters there. And we ask God that you would change those who persecute the church into the next version of the Apostle Paul. 
Would you let a wildfire of revival cover this world? Father, we pray the promise from Habakkuk that the knowledge of the, war, of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to cover the earth as the water covers this whole land. Just like the oceans, Lord, that it would be boundless. Would your glory fill this place even now and change us from the inside out? Father, I pray for the one even in our midst who's undergoing persecution. Would you let them be delighted today and take joy and boldness from this moment? And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.